Welcome to Younger and Older. This is Dave Wager. I'm with Todd McElhaney today. Todd is one of the creative personalities here at Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. He works on music. He works in the tech area for us and uh, has become a great friend through the years. Uh, I'm the old guy. He's the young guy if you're listening to Younger or Older. Uh, how old are you, Todd? Uh, 27. He's 27. I'm 63. And we're trying to encourage you to make sure that you sit around the table with somebody older than you every once in a while and just talk about life in a way that you can absorb some of the information from each other. Um, I think I can learn a lot about the generation that's behind me by listening to Todd and his friends and people that talk. I can learn how they're thinking. I, they have creative ideas. They do things that I don't even think about doing. And uh, I think it's been most helpful for me to enrich my life as I watch them go through their journey. And I think that I've learned a few things along the way that I can pass on to them and help them in their journey. And, and really, that's what it's all about. Uh, Todd, you have a, a, a really solid family that you get to be a part of, too. Your dad and mom are still alive? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and you get along great with them? Yeah. My dad's a uh, pastor, a church planner up in the UP um, in Ishpeming, so... Um, yeah, I always enjoy getting to go back and see how to see how God has grown the the ministry there, and it's fun to go back and you know be a part of it in some ways at different times. So, so do you like being a part of your family? Yeah, aside from not having a choice, I do. I yeah. do like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, loaded question, but you mm-hmm. you just wonder there are people that really avoid their family. They get to be your mm-hmm. age and they why why is it that there's this desire to avoid family when somebody's your age sometimes do you think? Hmm. I I would imagine it has a lot to do with um in our culture just the individualism and wanting to be your own person. And I you know, I think the Bible talks about that to a degree in a healthy way of, you know, leaving your parents and being your own family when um, when you're an adult, especially when you're married. Um, but I think it's very much push, do what you want to do, be your own person. And I think that the degree that it's talked about in America isn't necessarily what it was talked about in the Bible. Like the, the cultures back in the Bible is, you know, kind of the whole term. It took a village, you know, right. to raise kids. I think they were a lot closer. Um, not even that terribly long ago in America like people were farmers and the family grew up you know on this farm working the farm and then you know the oldest or whatever took over the farm and it continued on you know right. as as uh the generations went and so i i think we've really gotten away from from that mentality of you know being a part of a family, like we're not just our own selves doing our own thing. Um, so I think that's part of it. You know, I, I think even broader than that, I think you're right. I think being a part of an organic family is really important. But I think, too, the church should be a family. Mm-hmm. And that what you have is you're surrounded by significant other adults at all levels. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, would, I would say, too, um, getting more deeply involved in a church, say like a life group right um is super important because i think like the fellowship is a big part of what was important especially to the early church and uh, i think it's something that it's easy like i 
I remember I, I've been a part of it when I lived in Arizona for a few months. Um, it was tough to like, you know, really get plugged in. And I was content to go to a church, show up, not really talk to anybody and leave. And that's not community. And I, right. I think one of the biggest things that we're actually kind of missing in churches is that community. So I would encourage people to get involved in a life group. And I think, you know, our life group that we're involved in, consider them like family. Sure. And I mean, some of them actually are my family family. Yeah. But, um, but it's so encouraging in our stage of life, um, especially with young kids, you know, to have older people say like, you'll get through this. You right. know, our kids didn't sleep too. And yeah. it's a, it's a season. Also, um, I remember when my wife got diagnosed with cancer and we had to go through this crazy time of surgery and recovery. It was our life group that was bringing right. us meals and checking up on us. And so I think, um, being involved in a church, um, I th- I think the meaning has has changed. I think that family and that community is you have to be intentional to be a part of that to really be solidly involved in a church. Does that yeah, make sense? Sure. <laughs> you know what I I think you're describing something that actually um third world countries do better than we do. They're actually parts of community better, I hmm. think at times. When I've traveled in different countries, Africa, wherever it might be, um, people would work during the day, and they would work, you know, at whatever job they had. And most of them would make enough that day for uh, a meal at supper. I mean, that's they didn't have a lot, mm-hmm. and they would come home, and everybody would go outside when it, you know, when they got home, and it would usually be dark, and they would start a charcoal fire, and they would cook their suppers outside. Everybody hmm. would be out in the front, yeah, you know, out in front of wherever they lived, cooking these suppers. So you have this huge community out right. there, hmm. and, and they would all be cooking, and they would all be talking, and hanging out with each other, and and who knows, maybe if this family didn't get enough food this week, this one did, and they share it, and you know, what I mean, it was. It, it, so did they like was was it a community where they lived all pretty close? Yeah, and they it, would. They would. Would they walk around and visit yes, the other people? Yeah, really? Yeah, hmm. it it was, and one of the things that I really came away from is that these poor people were mm-hmm. very rich in community. Hmm. They were very rich helping each other. And when I got back to the United States, it was so contrasting. We all went to our houses and shut the doors. Right. Yeah, we, huh. we cook around our stoves and eat by ourselves. Right. We, we don't have community. Right, yeah. Um, at camp, a lot of times, uh, we eat together. Uh, today is Thursday. We all eat together on Thursday. Mm-hmm. I mean, staff lunch. Yeah, I mean that it gives you kind of a semblance of community when you do that. Mm-hmm. You know, food always gives you community. <laughs> yeah, if you do it together. Right. Uh, but I was I was kind of amazed at that, and really, I think with our culture, with the electronics, you have people that could bury themselves on their phones and their electronics and be isolated from everybody all the time. Yeah, and, and the irony is probably a lot of it is you know spending time on social media, <laughs> right. being unsocial in person. Exactly, yeah. and I think that's pretty dangerous. So somebody that is growing up now in your age bracket, I would suggest that my generation probably taught you to isolate yourself too much, because it was our generation started to do that. We started to have television at night. Hmm. We started to do our own thing. You know, when I grew up. Uh, church 
we had a Sunday morning church. I had Sunday school and then Sunday church. And then we came back for Sunday evening church. And then we had Wednesday evening prayer meeting that we got together. Now, and these were with the people of the church. So we had, you know, you were always with these people. Then you served in a youth club from the time you were in high school. So you got together with those people. And you're usually in a youth club if you were in high school. So there were five times a week where I was with this group. Mm. Uh, if you look at my life now, um, a part of that group is still um, the trustees of Silver Birch Ranch. Mm. They're the ones that are, are still together doing ministry and mm. that still care about each other. You know, uh, my brother's a trustee, Ron Elward, who is my best friend when we grew up and was in that situation with me as a trustee. David Batacola is a trustee. Dave Batacola was a kid who was just a street kid who started in my Sunday school class when he was in second grade. And, and so, hmm. you know, it's one of those things where you look at it and go, he came through the system and he, and he was part of the community and the community rescued him. Hmm. Now, today, when I go to church, it's Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. You sit, you leave. Mm -hmm. Okay. Community is not as much in that sense. Right. You know, it's like you don't even need to be a part of anything there. You go and you, and as far as teaching goes, I can listen to any teacher I want on a podcast or mm -hmm. anything else. Why would I go on Sunday morning to listen? I can find someone I like better, maybe, you know, somewhere mm -hmm. else. So I think you define things very well in that. I think you need to get involved in some kind of community and you mm -hmm. need to, these other countries, they do it naturally, but we in the United States are tending towards isolation. Yeah. And, and we're also tending towards greater depression, mm -hmm. suicide, anger. These are byproducts of isolation. Hmm. Hmm. You know, if, if you're out there with me and, and we're out doing stuff together, we're not hating each other normally. We're out, mm -hmm. you know, we're out discovering the world and, and doing things. Now, Everybody is different, and I want to I say that, you know, if you're introverted, yeah, you're not going to always be doing a limbo party. I, under, <laughs> you know, I understand that. But you're also, you know, you, you need one or two good friends, mm -hmm. and that's what introverts really like is they don't like big crowds. They like smaller crowds. If you're extroverted, you need a limbo party, and I mean, <laughs> you know, that's fine. Um, but I think that we have to recognize you know, we have a, a personal responsibility, I think, to make sure that we allow generations to be a part of our life and people to be a part of our life. Uh, and some people will struggle with that more than others. Um, and maybe for good reason, even. For example, um, I have some friends that are extremely wealthy. I mean, extremely wealthy. Um, I don't see them very much. I'm not on that scale with them, you know, but <laughs> they are. You know what else I think about them? They're extremely lonely. Hmm. Their wealth actually stops them from having this community that we talk about. Hmm. Because they don't know who they can trust, who they can't trust. Mm -hmm. How many people just want their wealth? I mean, it, it becomes a paranoia kind of thing almost hmm. down the road. And I'm not sure they're wrong in thinking that. I think there's a lot of people that would use somebody else for their own benefits so they're always got their guard up but they're more miserable because they always got their guard up mm -hmm. um, i just talked about the poorest people i've seen are right. seem to be the richest yeah because <laughs> they only have one fish in their pot 
and they're thankful and, for it. And they're thankful, and they're sitting out there cooking it, talking as a family while they cook it, and the kids are playing soccer behind them, mm-hmm. you know, together. And they're going to repeat that tomorrow, you know, kind of thing. And if somebody's sick, the whole community helps take care of them. And if somebody, you know, I mean, it's, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how would you get there in your culture, the way people live today, in locked houses? I mean, how? And, and really, locked houses aren't evil because we live in a culture where you might want to lock your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are, people are malicious at times, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So how do we get there? I mean, how do, how do you get, I know you said one thing. Now, let me look at, I'm just going to examine your life a little bit, so tell me if I'm right. You, you actually get along with your in-laws quite well. Mm-hmm. So you see them quite a bit. And they're, yeah. they're in your small group. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you also get along with your parents, so that's good. Uh, you, I know that you go help your grandparents do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what do you go help them do? Um, we try to get over and help them with, like, making maple syrup. And uh, we were over there a couple weeks ago helping make applesauce. And okay. So you're, you, you intentionally go and, ex- and, and be a part of their life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you enjoy just that generational. Yeah, being together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I know that you've got other family members that you mingle with and talk to and mm-hmm. are part of their life. So you're, you do make an effort to be a part of your extended family, mm-hmm. which is good. And, and because you're part of a life group, you're making an effort to be a part of a, a church family, a yeah. community that, mm-hmm. where you live. Um, and really, I guess that's what I'd be encouraging anyone your age to do. Um, and if you don't have parents that you can be a part of their life, maybe... You know, some have it really rough when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where the community of the church should come in, and you should be able to find somebody who can do that for you. Uh, for example, my wife and I are, you know, we're in our mid-60s, and there are some young people that we meet with whose parents have died. They don't have parents our age anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't have grandparents. Well, go find one. Mm-hmm. You know, people my age don't mind you treating us like your grandparents. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't mind that. So what you got to do is take some responsibility on your own and say, I don't have that in my life. I need to go have that mm-hmm. and begin to, you know, expose yourself to another generation. Well, and I think it's good, too, that you guys will look for somebody like that. You know, like, OK, who doesn't have parents that needs to be poured into and have that? you know, influence into their lives. I think, um, yeah, in the church context, I think it would really be beneficial for, like you're saying, the younger people to take initiative to go learn from the older people and then for the older people to look for younger people that are willing and eager to be poured into and to take them under their wing and yep. um, invest. So, yeah, know? so let me ask you this. So you believe that your marriage uh, to your wife that you should uh, actually have a commitment to her where you actually enjoy being married and you're committed for life, correct? Mm-hmm. And you get the guidance for your life from the scriptures, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So here's what makes sense to me. You find somebody who's 40 years ahead of you, whose marriage has been something you could watch and say that's a good marriage. Mm-hmm. Examples. Examples. Mm-hmm. And who actually knows the Bible, uses the Bible, and it's evident in their life that they do. Mm -hmm. And include them in your life so that you can see what they've learned. 
Mm-hmm. See, that only makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not intentional about that. Now, you could say, well, well, I do that with my mom and dad. Good. If your mom and dad are, are people, and you, in your case, can do that. You can look at your mom and dad, and you can say, okay, mm-hmm. boy, I can learn a lot from them. Oh, good. And, mm-hmm. and you should. Your in-laws, you can look at them. Okay, I can learn from them. Good. Mm-hmm. There's always a benefit, though, outside the family. Yep. Because out, you know, within a family, there are always these habits and things that are just normative that should be challenged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's not that it's evil necessarily, but it's so normative in that family. Right. That you're never going to challenge it unless you get outside of that. Right. Yep. Uh, you know, when uh, I don't know if you did, but when we got married, we got uh, China. Mm-hmm. When we got married, you know, uh, dishes. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. My wife would know if we did. Uh, so obviously, you don't use it often if you did. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we don't use ours often. That's why I'm speaking of it. Mm. When you got married, when we got married in 1980, when you got married, one of the things that you got was China, formal wear. So that you could invite people over and you could sit at a formal table hmm. and and have a formal dinner. Interesting. Hmm. All right, that's not part of life anymore. <laughs> you, if you were to come to our house, we would not use China. And we have two small boys, so you probably wouldn't want that anyway. You know so. what, they did anyway. I mean, <laughs> oh. it's just one of those things where... You know, we wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And China then came out. You, you brought the China out when you wanted to have a very special dinner with friends or family. Mm. And, and so when the China went on the table, that was your special. Mm. Well, I, we're putting out our best right now mm-hmm. for you. Mm. Now, since that has kind of died, mm-hmm. I, you know, I wonder if the idea of having people over and having a formal dinner has died. Uh, and even I look at our life and say, yeah, we don't do that either. And I mean, we just don't do that where we invite people over to put the china out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this meant that you put a tablecloth out, mm-hmm. that you put your best dishes out, you put your best glassware out, you, you had silverware that was really silver. <laughs> mm-hmm. They did. I mean, yeah. and you put silverware out. And you had to polish it, right? You did. And and your even your salt and pepper shakers needed polishing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, it, but when somebody came over, man, the table was gorgeous. Mm. And you sat around the table, and it was very formal. You sat around, you enjoyed the dinner, and you enjoyed conversation. And, and that's what it used to be. So now we have in our house, we have the china we got when we got married that we've used like three times in, in our entire marriage. That's probably a hyperbole, but <laughs> not, <laughs> yeah. no, I not very much. Yeah, We also have... I also, in my life, I don't know what I have anymore. I had my grandmother's china. I had my mother's china. My wife had her mother's china. Hmm. It's like, anyone want to buy china? (laughs) Because we have tons of it. (laughs) Why do we have so much that's not being used? Because the culture's changed. Hmm. Nobody wants to do that anymore. And if we did that, you would look at it like, what's with the nice dishes? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, can't we grab some uh, Chinette and sit in front of the TV and watch a football game? <laughs> you know, culture has changed. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm wondering, as I describe that to you, that's has that been part of your life where you had formal dinners where it was all like using China and very fancy? No, the, uh, when my parents would get out, it wasn't China, but they get out the nice 
dishes. We'd usually have more of a formal dinner at Thanksgiving okay. and, and Christmas when we could get everybody home and so you dressed it up a little. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's like you said, super special occasions. It was just yeah, Christmas and Thanksgiving. So well, and that that's the generational differences for me. Certainly, Thanksgiving and Christmas, it was all China all the time. Hmm. You know, I mean, that was the minimum you would use your China for, and then any other occasion that mm-hmm. you wanted to have special or have people over. Um, being a, a, the son of a pastor, as you are, you know, sometimes you got invited over on Sundays. You know, people would put out their china for us <laughs> and, you know, that kind of thing. Because it'd be like kind of if you went to the White House for a dinner with the president, you'd eat off china. Mm. You know, they would have it all proper. The plates would match. Mm-hmm. The silver would probably be silver. The mm-hmm. glass would be in the right spot. You'd have, you, you'd, it's like those fancy restaurants. It, I remember I walked in once with somebody to a fancy restaurant and they had like four forks. <laughs> what are these for? <laughs> yeah, well, it's good that my mm-hmm. wife understands I wasn't overly cultured. Like, which one? I, I remember whispering to her, which one do I use? <laughs> and her, her answer was very simple. Start with the one outside. Yeah. Whatever course they bring you first is meant for that fork. Hmm. You know, that's why it's on the outside. Mm-hmm. And then... You leave that on the plate when they come and take it. Mm. And then you grab the next fork because that's for the next course. So it's like, mm. oh, you know, in our house, we only had one fork, you know. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, it, I, you know, when you start throwing three, four forks out there, it's like mm-hmm. no clue. Uh, but it's interesting how cultures change because now, in fact, last night we were just talking to a couple and they said, yeah, this lady buys China over somewhere, I forget where. And, um, and the reason she buys it is because people rent it. She she rents it out for for formal dinners. Hmm. Interesting. Because people don't have China anymore, so she rents it to them. Hmm. And I thought, good, let's find her and sell it because we never use it anymore. <laughs> and and how many such a China do I actually need? Right. Um, that we don't use. I've asked my wife, and and this is our generational problem. But I asked my wife, why don't we just use them? Why don't we just put them in the cabinet like normal dishes? Hmm. And just start using them. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, she, no, you don't do that with China. Not so, even one of the sets of I, China? I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. I, I really don't know. I'm hmm. just thinking it's a whole different world because yeah. I grew up, you know, my mom had China. We didn't have a formal dining room, though, in our house. We grew up in Chicago. We just had a kitchen with a kind of a kitchen table. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make sense to really have China mm. uh, on that because there was nothing formal about it. Mm. My, my grandma had a formal dining room, mm. so she, she used China. Mm. And people who have a dining room tend to use China more mm. because, it's, again, it's more formal. And if you only have a kitchen table, why would you do that? That's where the servants eat, you know what I mean, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. And I guess I was always a servant. That's I funny. Uh, no idea. Uh, well, you know what I want to do now, and and and, the, and we're going to continue this, so we have two parts of it. Is just talk about, you, you know, you as a young man, you have responsibility in life. Mm-hmm. You have responsibility. I don't. It's not my responsibility necessarily to make sure you make the right decisions. It's right. your responsibility to make the right decisions. Right. Yep. I do have a responsibility in it as part of the community you're part of. 
but I'm not responsible for your decisions. You are. Right. That's more of accountability. Right. And you also have a responsibility to your wife. Mm-hmm. And you have a responsibility to your children. Mm-hmm. You actually have a responsibility to both sets of your parents. Okay, now the question I have is, have you identified what that responsibility is and how are you going to get there? Not so much to my in-laws, I would say, but like to my parents, you know, oh, it would be the same to my in-laws actually, would be to support and help and encourage as they get older. Um, And I mean, my wife and I have even talked about it, like if that's what it takes, you know, having having either of our sets of parents live with us when they have a hard time getting around. And then to my wife, you know, it's to be faithful um, in every area. And to my kids, to do the best I can to train them up, you know, according to God's word and to be a godly example. And um, that's how I would off the cuff identify my Okay, so let's, let's break that down a little bit. And, and say that that sounds real Christian and good. Mm-hmm. What does that actually mean? When when, when I talk to you as a husband, mm-hmm. okay, I'm glad you said you and your wife have talked about um, your responsibilities, perhaps to your parents. Mm-hmm. I think that's really a healthy discussion for any young couple mm-hmm. is to talk about what is our responsibility to the parents in our life as they get older, mm-hmm. because there will be challenges mm-hmm. there. You know, uh, you, you know, we've gone through a storm lately up here and that kind of thing. And yeah, the one thing I've seen is that, that my kids, uh, my, both my son-in-law and my daughter, uh, my two daughters, have really kicked up coming up and helping. Hmm. You know, and why? Because dad's having trouble a little bit with his shoulders and he's doing stuff. So immediately it's like, no, it's, it's our responsibility to be somewhat helpful, you know, mm-hmm. at this point. He doesn't have to do this all by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to be a part of that. Okay, so yeah. that's what you see as an older guy. I really need to appreciate that and not push him away, mm-hmm. even though my, my pride wants to say, I don't need your help. <laughs> and I think every family has to deal with that. Uh, your, your dad, your father-in-law, I almost promise you, will not want your help. Mm-hmm. Because when, when you help them, what they're admitting is, I can't take care of myself in this area like I'd like to. Mm-hmm. Um, example, we're, we're going to put a new floor in our basement and, um, I've been against it forever because we have carpet that we put down 35 years ago. So what's wrong with that? <laughs> um, yeah, I know you laugh it, but my attitude is, you know, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. So why pick it up? Well, my dear wife disagrees and my children who stay down there disagree. One of the reasons I don't want to replace it. I have arthritis. I have a really hard time going down and up and I don't want to put a floor down. Mm. See, now I'm admitting that to you and everybody on the radio, but I don't want to say that to my family. Mm-hmm. I just am telling them the carpet's okay. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Why? Because otherwise I'm vulnerable and I say I can't do it. And to a father, that's a hard thing to do. I can't take care of what I'm supposed to take care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where you as a young person need to kick in and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and help you at the floor, Dad. You know? Right. And not, do you want me to come and help you at the floor? Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to do that, you know, kind of thing. And that's what my kids have done. Um, anyway, th- people are listening to what we call younger, older right now. This comes to you from the studios of Relate365.com. I invite you to go to Relate365.com and, and get various podcasts that we've done. 
and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you very soon.